Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At bluenile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hello and welcome to part two of this week's Clash of the Titles, the podcast that pits two movies with something in common in a fight to the death to see which one comes out victorious. On Monday's episode, we had a close encounter of the Spielberg kind, which means today we're witnessing another arrival, courtesy of Denis Villeneuve from 2016. It is Arrival. I need you to I need you to send a message to the other sites. So which film will be writing their name in the stars and which will be sent packing back to where it came from? We'll have a winner at the end of the show, so let's get it on. Welcome to Clash of the Titles. The Kraken. Hello, Clash Potters. You want to make a baby? <laughs> <laughs> I'm Alex Zane. I'm Chris Tilly. Sorry. <laughs> That's just helped because I'm feeling quite tense. This is such a big film. I'm content. Well done, you. Thank you for that. Yeah. I just sometimes when I'm watching the film, I do wonder which bit you're going to pick out. And I knew you'd get that bit because everything else is so fucking sincere. And obviously you can't do that. Yeah, it's interesting. That the was, one funny line. To be line. fair, that was sincere. Yeah. That's true, actually. He, was, meant, he meant it. It was a toss-up yeah. toss between that. Or Abbott did death process. So <laughs> you did that on you did that on, I did Monday. on Monday, so I had to go to my second option. Yeah, welcome to part two of this week's clash in this alien altercation that is close encounters versus arrival. As you well know, one film will be declared the winner in the verdict at the end of the show. But before we get going, it's time for a dip into the digital mailbag and a weekly review from one of you. Thank you again to everyone who takes the time to review the show. It's hugely appreciated. Take it away, Chris Tilly, aka a Chris Thrilly. Uh, this comes from Brokeback Duncan. Nice. Who calls his uh, comment straight out of Crompton. Oh, okay. That's and you. says... That's me. That's my name. That's your name. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> 
Thank that you. is my name. It's about you. Yeah. And it's less a review and more a comment. Oh, great. Uh, it's nice. Are I've you sure? I've checked it. I've, I check everything now. Okay. Now? <laughs> yeah, I didn't before, but now now Chris has gone off piece, <laughs> yeah. off the reservation. Yeah. Brokeback Duncan says, yeah. I know I'm late to the party, but I've always thought that I'm all in from the full Monty was some up north expression, meaning he couldn't get it up. Oh, my God. Thank God. No, it's not. Not what you're <laughs> talking about. That doesn't prove no, you I right. No, I know, but it just... Fine, but we're, do you it, know runs, what we're, it runs in parallel yeah. to what you've no, said, but it's not the same. I think we're edging towards me being right. I think no. another three years. It doesn't go inside <laughs> unless you're really sick. Thank you for that, Brokeback Duncan. I've got a review, actually. I never normally have a review. This is uh, to my sister's Facebook account. It says, are you Vicky's sister? I love the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> That's from Tom. I think in the north. I'm not sure. I don't want to make assumptions about who's on my sister's Facebook. But there are we you go. Vicky's sister? Are you? Vicky's sister ah, to my sister. Wow. Yeah, are you Vicky's? Which well, she sent me that. She was like, "Look at this." <laughs> Obviously, like probably a bit cross. horrified. Yeah, <laughs> I loved it, but I was like, "That's why I don't do social media because I'm I'm nicking this expression, the glazed pleasure of believing your own hype." But like, when it comes to you directly through a social network, right? So someone my sister knows is like, "I listen to the podcast and it's good." I was like, "Wow, that's amazing!" Okay, but that's why I can't you, do. You don't want to get addicted to that. I don't because I I can never win because I don't I can't deal with negativity. Mm. And then positivity is also addictive. So, okay. no. Okay. That's the end of that section. That's fine. Yeah. That's fine. How do you feel about Elon Musk taking over Twitter then? I don't really feel anything about it. Okay. Because it doesn't, I'm not really sure what it means. No, it is really. No. <laughs> Just a lot of people getting angry on Twitter. Yeah, again. So it's regular service. <laughs> yeah. Regular service. Okie dokie. Let's do this on Monday. I did close encounters, which means today <laughs> Vicky is going. It's harder to do than you think, though, yeah, isn't it? it? Is, yeah. Because it's not quite a semitone at the bottom I wrote, end. I wrote to tune, didn't rehearse it. <laughs> and, uh, I thought I'd try it out live. It's hard. I won't be doing it again. Which means today Vicky is going on the emo trip that is a rival. <laughs> v take us on a journey. I'm not crying, you're crying. Oh no, wait, I'm crying lords because of Arrival and the music in Arrival, a film which is supposed to be about aliens and humanity uniting for world peace. And really, that would be enough. Except it's also about grief and how the fullness of the human experience inevitably invites the pain of loss. And if you knew something was going to really hurt, would you have the courage to do it anyway, to be as alive as you want to be? Ugh. Or... Arrival is the story of lonely linguist Louise Banks who tricks her way into an army base to meet aliens by bad-mouthing the competition when all she really does is write human on a whiteboard and puts some circles into Google, which literally anyone can do, and then crafts an intense shared experience bond with some dude called Ian whose sole job is to follow her about copying her and then she uses him as a human shield when she tricks a warmongering general by sharing intensely private information that theoretically she could have got by spying rather than upending her perception, experience and use of time. And then she tricks Ian into having a baby that she knows full well he's going to fucking die and ruin his life forever. Selfish, selfish Louise. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, well good. Done. I'm kidding, of course. Oh. Got it right. Yeah, it's just to make me feel there's going to be a lot of emotion <laughs> coming your way oh, for wait, like an so hour. Do you think the opposite of what you just said? Yeah, but I just, I'm oh, just no. Boo. <laughs> Boo. Down with Louise. What? She's a right badder. She's What's a, a rotter. Oh, she should be with Roy Neary. Yeah. <laughs> Roy got a pass on Monday. What about Louise? <laughs> so let me tell you about the first time I saw this film, mm. and then I'll ask you. Great. That's it's how a, it works. It's a very personal experience. Not to make you, Alex, 
feel awkward. Ugh, what's this then? <clears throat> you, we hadn't seen each other for a while. You Then we went for dinner and you came around to my house and we were talking about films. And I was like, have you seen anything good? And you said, yeah, watch Arrival, right? right. So I was like, okay, I will do because you've recommended it. But at the same time, I was trying to understand who you were now kind of thing. And I put a lot on that recommendation. I know, not to scare you, obviously, but it's kind of, you know, if you think someone might have changed, a lot of it is in like, oh, you should read this, you should do this. And then you're like, well, I did. And it's ridiculous. Like we're, we're different now kind of okay. thing. So then I watched it and I really loved it. And then I thought, oh, we're going to be all right. Sorry. So, so can I can I ask a question? Yeah. Would we not be here today if if Alex had said Jackass three D? <laughs> I honestly don't know. <laughs> the problem with this story, which I believe you know now, yeah, is I do know now, motherfucker. Go on. I. Oh God, yes. <laughs> oh, you forgotten? Oh yeah. my word! I can't lie my way out of this and go. Well, I really meant that recommendation. No, I know so full of shit. Yeah. But again, a more truthful representation of where we are. I was a little tipsy slash very drunk when I. <laughs> I watched Arrival and I watched it with my brother on the sofa and he wasn't drinking. And at the end of the film, he went, that film was absolutely fantastic. And I went, what? I don't understand it. I'm going to bed. And then I parroted his recommendation to you. But what you did is smart enough because through the lens of like you were in a social situation and you were like, what will she want to hear? And you said exactly the right it's thing. It's exactly the same as when you say your favourite film is Picnic at Hanging Rock. <laughs> <laughs> to impress people. I mean, to the point that when we were talking about this last week, about watching Arrival, and me and Vicky were talking about how emotional we're going to get watching it again, Alex was like, is it emotional? <laughs> like, what? Oh, yeah, I was like way too drunk to watch the movie. Like, I, I, I watched it this time. Well, so I watched it this time eh, on a hangover in Schiphol Airport. Oh, my God. And What's K- wrong with you? I know, I know. In the KLM lounge, and I was like, I thought I'll, I'll have a beer because that's the only way I'm going to get what? rid of this hangover. And then I put a rival on. I've never had as many funny looks, like pulling my baseball cap down You're over crying. my eyes. Yeah, of course, because yeah. I'm crying a yeah. fucking hangover, feeling raw <laughs> and emotional. And then this movie is on my laptop, and people are like, you know, it took. If, if I hadn't sort of just smiled, one of the staff there was going to come over and go, "Are you okay?" <laughs> I, 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 I had to watch uh, "Let the Right One In" on. Uh, on my laptop on a train on the way up to the Edinburgh Film Festival I had to get it watched to do an interview Mm. and at the end I was in bits crying and I looked to my left and the girl sitting next to me was crying as well because she'd been watching as well didn't have headphones but she'd got into the emotion of it all Um, I uh, saw this early at uh, Fantastic Fest in Austin an early screening for a review and um, yeah I was blown away by it at the time and also it's funny I asked a question of the screenwriter that I realised the answer of which is now on Wikipedia Mm. so I've I've made it I think I've got that in my notes I think you probably have yeah yeah that was me (laughs) kind of it was him but I just found it so... And also, there is stuff to talk about because I wasn't as affected this time. I think there's something in the twist that doesn't quite do it the second time round. Exactly. Which is a weird feeling because I really... I went back... This is only the second time I've seen it. I was like, oh, it's going to get me again. But the first time I saw it, I just felt very affected by it because I felt very seen by the themes because, you know, just to like break it down, I was... Before I had children, I was very happy with my life. And if I could have known how powerful the fear is of losing them, I might have actually reconsidered because... And that's a very dark thing. Well, it's not that dark, but it's a, a complex thing to admit. And I wasn't sure that I... I thought maybe it was just me and like, there's something wrong with me. And those are hard feelings to sit with. And this film is like, no, that's cool. Those are real feelings. Like people, you know, it is... It's a powerful thing and you can choose to do it anyway. Okay. Okay. Do you think you're more affected? People who have kids are clearly going to be more affected by this movie. I couldn't say those, good, I, like- I can tell you that right now I'm like, so you, 
You know when your kid dies? <laughs> That's actually mad useful because you can just sort of work towards that and go, I'll give them the best time for this period and then, yeah. you know, they're gone. But Now that I know what the twist is, I've got more questions about Louise's actions, whereas before I was like, what the? But now it's some of it, I do find some of it quite questionable. Would you not like to know when you die? Me personally? Yeah. I would like to know that I'm not going to leave them in a. I would like to know that they would they would be all right. That's all I need to know. It can't be tomorrow, basically, because it will ruin their life. Okay. But if it was, if I was an old person, or even just a more like, what does old mean? As long as they would be all right, doesn't matter to me. Right. That's that's not that's what not I an meant. answer. Yeah. That's not what I meant. Chris, do you want to know when you die? No. Okay. I certainly would love to imagine that you knew that in like three years, seventeen months, whatever. It was coming. You would make yeah, the run up to that death amazing. Amazing. Yeah. But you should do that anyway. That's Live like you're going to die tomorrow. Yeah. Yeah. YOLO. <laughs> if I wake up at five in the morning and now my alarm's going off at seven, those next two hours are miserable. And that's what it would feel like. Well, you are different people. That's what I'm saying. Like, so your response true. is yeah. very, it's very different. Uh, yeah. Maybe, you, I don't know with the kids thing. I, I've only ever seen it with having kids. So I don't know. Okay. But also I was really knocked, it knocked me over the first time I saw it because the twins, they were a year, so I was still in that babiness, whereas it's a bit easier to watch now. You just feel so... <laughs> you like them less. <laughs> you're just a bit more in the... Like, they're less vulnerable, aren't they? Because they're not like... Right, 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 that's what I meant. <laughs> yeah, and their personalities have developed and you're like, do you know what? If I had my time again, would I want to live with you? Not sure. No, God, imagine saying that. That's horrendous. Uh, hello to the uh, much older twins revisiting this podcast <laughs> 10 years from now. They know. Do you know? Okay, so a bit of background. I'm not going to say too much because we do have a lot to get through linguistically Great. scientifically so it's based on the novella story of your life by ted chang that's published in 98 and then 2002 i haven't read it and i feel a bit bad admitting that have you read it no i mean i would like to because apparently you know in order to shift your perception of time he's really cleverly uses different tenses and that does sound like my. i've skimmed thing. it um there's no real conflict in the book it's no, a funny it's a funny thing. it's a funny book to pick to turn into a film okay. he, he's had to add all the conflict in this movie yeah so eric you're talking about the writer eric heiser he loved the story and he did a spec version then years later he's having um a general meet with 21 laps which is sean levy's company and he mentions the project they love the story and then they just start to put it together it's just a normal filmy story like there's nothing crazy going on the rights are freakishly free which is good for them ted chang hasn't worked with anyone in hollywood before um and then eric heiser is commissioned to be the actual writer and we get lots of changes from the source material. So like Chris says, there's no war in the story. It's just much more about the mother-daughter relationship. So then they go to Denis Villeneuve and he said his dream was to get into science fiction. So you have achieved your dream, Denis. Well done. Done it a few times over since yeah, then. Yeah, yeah. Like, that's it now, really. <laughs> <laughs> that's all you're doing. And that's kind of it. Like, he's doing Prisoners while Heisra does. Like, they do tons of drafts. They change the name. They change the ending over the years uh, because of Interstellar. So the, one of the original, not the original, ending had the heptapods give us an interstellar ship but interstellar comes out so you can't do that anymore the only thing that's interesting is that all the studios passed on the movie one of the studios <laughs> asked them to change the linguist role to a man <laughs> yay that's not a problem we actually wrote her as a man and then <laughs> yeah. we just switched the gender at the 11th hour i read an, a really good a really thoughtful piece about this film which i'm not taking issue with but they just they said there was some of the reason that she saw you're so drawn to her is she's a, a source of calm when everything's kicking off but she's androgynous and I wasn't sure if I was offended by that or not like I probably would be you think she's so an, and she's not androgynous I don't think she is no. I wonder what they meant by that Didn't not they that mean it matters that... it's just it's just no. a weird thing to say they're, yeah. they're reading something in there that's not there yeah 
because she's so I think it's big because she's she doesn't react in perhaps the classic Hollywood OTT yeah, yeah. way when she finds out big news like her, she's going to have a daughter who's going to die in the future. Yeah. She just sort of, it's very, she internalises, I think, a lot of her pain as yeah. opposed to... And processes things. Yeah. yeah. So the casting, that's easy because it's really brilliant. So people want to be in it. That's it. Uh, Amy Adams, she knows Jeremy Renner from American Hustle. First time I watched this, second time I watched this, I still think he is miscast. Ooh. Okay. Um, because in the story, the actual Ted Chang story, Ian does have something. To, he's, I don't think he's called Ian in that, but he has something to do to contribute to this big realisation of what's going on. Whereas in this film, he has nothing to do. So you have to believe in him in a, as a theoretical physicist who you see doing very little theoretical physicists stuff. Physicising. So, so, so I don't want him to look like, oh, hello, central casting, I'm a bumbling professor or anything like that. But without you seeing his skills, you put so much on the man's face and demeanour and he just doesn't, oh, seem, see. he doesn't seem like a theoretical Because I was going to say, that's hardly his fault. That's the script, not giving yeah, yeah, him anything yeah. to do, but you just don't think he even looks like... No. A theoretic. He's too good looking, I think. I don't know what it is. Like he look, he doesn't look like someone who would have spent his life. I don't know. The thing is, though, I think it works when you find out. Renner works in that role when you find out that he, when he discovers, when she's told him in the future that their child is going to die mm. and he's left mm-hmm. and you have that awful line where the kid goes, daddy doesn't look at me the same way anymore because he's good looking, because probably with that comes that little bit of ego with yeah. knowing you're good looking. Yeah. You can imagine Renner being that guy who in the future has kind of cut his daughter out of his life having been told she's going to die. Yeah. I don't think he does cut her out of his life, though, does he? I think he just divorces her, her mom. I don't know. Well, it's... A weird thing for a kid to pick up that daddy doesn't look at her. She, daddy doesn't way. look at her because he knows she's going to die. It's not that I don't want to mm. see you again, I don't think. But she, the kid says, are you going to leave me like daddy did? Oh, yeah, she does say that. Mm. Oh, yeah, that's so bad. Yeah, you're right. Uh, I just want to talk about the music. You hear that? An original score by Johan Johansson. Uh, so me and you, Chris, we once had like a, semi, like a semi-drunken discussion about Max Richter. And am I correct in remembering that you hate Max Richter's music for some reason? I'm not sure who he is. So, okay, <laughs> that's, well, that's, that's so typical of you. <laughs> Semi-drunk. <laughs> Who's Max Richter? Max Richter wrote, so you know the, the, the music, the theme that bookends it, the, like the palindrome. So it's called On the, On the Nature of Daylight uh-huh. from the Blue Notebooks. And it's the big, the bassy sort of, is it a cello or a, whatever, like very deep bass strings mm. and it's gorgeous so that's in the score by Johan Johansson mm. and that meant that it was disqualified from the Oscars which is I get it but it's such a shame because the music mm. in this is unbelievably powerful yes and a lot of the emotional heft comes from the music but I just remember yeah. I remember saying to you once oh have you heard this thing by Max Richter and you were like I fucking hate Max no, Richter no I didn't you yeah. were, you've made this up I haven't made it up so well, what what are you referring to what was the theme did you think he might have thought you were talking about Richter from Total Recall yeah, I hate by him. Mayan I hate him Michael Side. That might have happened, though. So yeah, fair yeah, enough. Yeah, maybe. What is the theme? The I said I hated it. This one. We were talking about. Why would I, I love the music in this. Then why would you say that? Why would you, you say you that, what? Chris? God, she's so bad when she's drunk. <laughs> that was probably some random in the pub you were talking to, thinking it was me. <laughs> I don't talk to random. It was that pub. woman. You have literally sat down at a table thinking it was us and started talking before you realised it was us. It wasn't us, and we were sitting at a different table. That's not true. Absolutely true. That's not true. I've seen that happen. You? Are you mean? 
making it up. See, I don't know. No, that's annoying. Anyway, I would just like to say this film did very well, which I was unaware of until this week. So it made over $200 million from a $47 million budget. And I'm very pleased because it's a very cerebral, weird film. And I'm glad that it was such a smash. And well, that's it. Especially as he, it was such a hellish 10 years he spent trying to get it made. Yeah. I mean, he, the stories he tells are, it's amazing that he kept going in the face Who of... Who are we talking about? The screenwriter. Right. In the face of what was thrown at him and his agents telling him to stop and producers telling him to stop. And he just kept going. But I, I, I thought a couple of interesting things about his script writing process. When he was pitching it to the 12 uh, different producers, he put the story on a series of cards and put them in a circle as he told the story mm. so he would end at the beginning with the same card Clever which I think is a really cool way of doing yeah, it that's mm. good. they all said no all 12 buyers that's why there's 12 spacecraft in the movies he said <laughs> I'm not sure um, but also um, he said he was losing his mind one evening over dinner complaining to his wife that the stuff he was explaining the drawings in the script were just so boring and she said well what's it supposed to be and he did the drawing and she said put that in the script and he was like you can't and then he was like can you? And he figured out a way to put the drawing in the script and the, 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 the software at the time wouldn't allow you to do that. And so his script has drawings in it of what the aliens are showing because it just changed. It transformed the script from being this boring description yeah. of circles and stuff coming out of them. Yeah. Because um, he said he was losing his mind when he wrote non-linear orthology as a piece of dialogue. <laughs> he just said, what am I doing with my life? And yet he personally, well, he, he used the word. He said it was like the least sexy thing I've ever written. And yet he persevered, and I think that's a great, a yeah. great thing. Yeah. If when you love something, I just think it's so good that you you love it, and it, you know it's a hard sell, but you just keep going, and then it happens, and it's brilliant. Yeah. Like the twelve producers turned it down, and he turned around to his agent and said, "I'm going to write it on spec," and they said, "No, the people." you're writing on spec for have all just said no and he said no I'm going to do it I'll wait till I get hot and then someone will want it the the, the belief in an idea going once once I've done this you'll you'll come begging it's going to be that good Mm. I just don't know that it must take a lot it wasn't even like that was it because they didn't come begging you know when when 21 Laps took it out for pre-sales then it went nuts but by then you've got two massive movie stars attached to it and a really hot director like you couldn't have done any better at the time than to get Denis Villeneuve like that was awesome piece of like production and even then that was stressful because he said to Denis once he had Denis he said who do you think should play Louise and he said oh Amy Adams and, and he said oh who, who else he goes no if Amy Adams says no I walk away and he's like oh god please say yes <laughs> <laughs> wow alright so we talk about the film then Yes. yes. Oh, yeah. 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 Sorry, my notes uh, are written because I left my notebook in my suitcase. Are you talking? Oh my god! The same thing happened to me this weekend. All my notes are in the novel I was reading, really? and I felt like I was desecrating the book. You're Richard, like Richard Osmond, so that's fine. You're allowed to do that. Mine was <laughs> this, obviously much more high-minded. This isn't do it. This isn't helping my case that I am not on Richard Osmond's payroll. <laughs> I'm, I've the now camera's actually, over there, babe. You just want to hold that up. I've now actually brought in a uh, Richard Osmond book. Uh, this is uh, the sequel. Uh, this is the Man Who Died Twice. Uh, it's very good. It I also, can't believe we had the same weekend. Yeah. People thought I'd gone mad. I wrote. I wrote. I wrote in the top here. Uh, arrival, Schiphol Airport, 4th of the 11th, 2022. Watched in KLM Lounge, drinking Heineken, soothing hangover. <laughs> Just in case someone... Do you, you do a g- scene description of your own life? Is that what that is? <laughs> Interior, is Schiphol that, Airport. Is that for future generations? Alex, handsome, but he knows it. <laughs> Sit, sipping Heineken. <laughs> A gorgeous attendant, wait, not gorgeous, a fit, not wait, a model walks up to him. <laughs> I'm not laughing because it's true. 
but yeah, is this for future generations? <laughs> yeah, for posterity children. <laughs> this will be throw, worth something one day. I throw away my notebooks, but I don't throw away books that I've read. So I figure at some point in the future, I might pull this off the shelf and it'll be in this little memory box for being hung over in Schiphol Airport. Okay. Lovely. All right. But yeah, handsome is a word I'd use. <laughs> Mm. <laughs> no, I'm being, I didn't I'm, know she was a model until she no, said No, I'm hell. being mean, because when people write men, they're like, he's brave in the face of adversity. Woman, blonde. <laughs> Handsome, but doesn't know it. Handsome, but doesn't know it. You get that a lot. What do you get for women a lot? Careworn. I see that a lot in scripts. Careworn. Careworn. It means knackered. It's really rude. It means knackered, no but like... No one says careworn. I've never... Never seen that. Who would you write as careworn? Like an old, like a mum that's still kind of got it. That's careworn. Right. And you see that a lot. In, in still got it as in hot. Yes. Underneath, like if you put a pretty dress on her and gave her and sent it to the hairdressers, okay. she'd emerge looking gorgeous. Okay. That's careworn. You're a mum who's still got it. Thank you, Chris. You are careworn. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm actually not, but it's fine. <laughs> I got to tell today I look fresh, so oh, okay. yeah, buy someone. So fresh is the opposite of careworn. I guess. Okay. <laughs> Anyway, shall we talk about the film? Yeah. Okay, cool. So, Try and do it in a careworn way. Oh, I wonder, just a generally tired mm. over this shit. Bit like Amy Adams in this. Oh, she's not careworn. She's, okay. Well, this is the thing. So she, we start with, I used to think this was the beginning. I won't keep going on about like, the different, where we, where we are in time, but you think you are seeing a woman in grief. And so her attitude towards the events of the film makes sense because she's quite numb to the world. Mm. So, like I said before, I, I found it less devastating this time round. But the scene where the doctor has her child and feels for the uh, glands in her neck and then she fucking dies. Yeah. Like, that's too much for me. That's How far too much. How does she afford that house on a lecturer's salary unless the yeah. university is paying Very through the nose? Generous. I mean, she is the best translator on the planet, apparently. So perhaps she's got yeah. a tenure, a professorship. I guess the but that's a fucking amazing house. Haven't the government just paid her for something as well? Some work that she did some security general doesn't stuff, like. Yeah. So. Oh yeah, the Farsi. Uh, she translates some Farsi, doesn't yeah, she? She does. That seems embarrassing. Why? Because oh, Forrest Whitaker walks in oh, yeah. and she says, she says to translate this, I'll I'll need to be in the room with who said it. Yeah. And he goes, you didn't need to be in the room for the Farsi. And she has to tell this man, that's because I speak Farsi. <laughs> what a fucking scene. It's so dumb. That's so true. <laughs> that is so true. Um, but yeah, like I say, um, the day the heptapods arrive, so heptapod seven foot, we think that, Amy Adams as Louise Banks is just sort of removed from the world because she's back at work after her daughter dies um, and she's the best in her field but then she's doing the lecture and there's no one there and everyone's phone is going and these things have arrived I like that I do like panic in films like low level mm. panic I like everyone's phone going at the same time yep. and I like the fact that it's quite restrained because Louise is actually not bothered she just goes home she has a chat with her mum like, so I wrote that down because I was like oh. I'm mm. not sure about this. And I, I wasn't even attaching it to the grief thing so much. Perhaps I was a bit. But I honestly, like, I looked at it for a, a little bit longer. I'm like, yeah, I think actually you would, like, be a little bit. Like, I mean, certainly you might react a bit more to the initial discovery, but I certainly would go home, open a bottle of wine and stick BBC News mm -hmm. on and watch rolling news of the event. Definitely. I'd do exactly what she did, you know, maybe make a few phone calls and go, have you seen this shit? But you wouldn't, yeah, like, watch it. I wouldn't be out in the streets looting or anything. No. How does the non-linear version of this time knowledge that she 
yeah. develops work because is there a reading that she knows what's going to happen at this point? Oh, that's interesting. There, is, there are bigger questions because why is she so seemingly detached from the world? Because you think she's in grief, but she's not. So why is she sort of, mm. She's. I don't know. There's lots of questions there, maybe. And I'll be honest, the first time I watched it, I kind of figured out what was happening at the beginning. You did not. Yeah, when no she said, way. this was the beginning of your story. And then she says, I'm not so sure, sure I believe in beginnings and endings. I started thinking, oh, is this... Oh, you clever Is pants. this the ending rather than beginning? And so I kind of saw... I knew what was kind of happening. Okay. So um, I didn't get the same experience of the big rug pull at the end. Wow. Uh, we'll have more lies from Chris after a <laughs> short break. <laughs> There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Uh, so, uh, yeah, like you say, uh, we don't see the shells for a while because she's quite disengaged. Uh, but then Forrest Whitaker arrives. Now she perks up here. She comes to life. And I, I I know the scene is a bit ridiculous when she's like, yeah, I speak Farsi. So that's how I manage that. But I do like the idea that she does want this gig a little bit. And so she's re- reactivated. And there's another version of that scene where he comes in. He's like, you're the best in the goddamn business. And she's mm. like, fuck it. I don't care either way. And he begs her and then something happens or whatever. Mm. But she's like, oh, I do quite want that. And then she bad mouths her competition at Harvard in order to get the job. That's great. I love that line. Ask him uh, what the Sanskrit is for war. Yeah. But what, why what does it? he... What is it? More cows. Yeah, an argument uh, or a desire for more cows. Okay. But why does that work? Because the the competition says it means an argument and she says, no, it means a desire for more cows. And Forrest Whitaker goes, you got it. Like, so someone else knows. He Well, he's wrong. Well... He's he would come at it in a much more combative fashion, is what I took from it. This Danvers character, because you know he interprets things quite in, literally, yeah, yeah, in a much more confrontational way, makes mistakes, yeah, and she would be much more like open to you know communication, the breadth of what mm. that might mean, yeah, okay. So then we meet Jeremy Renner, right? So there was a light. So this this thing, it's important. It's not a rom com, but it's important that you understand that there's a connection there. I've never really seen it. And I still didn't see it this time. But there was a line in the script that was excised about she's a linguist and he's a theoretical physicist and they're just going to butt heads kind of thing because she's like, uh, this is what a linguist does when they're in the chopper. And he says... Science versus language. Yeah. Mm. And then he says to her, you don't need to know the word for fire. You just need to be able to make it and burn someone with it, which is a bit fancy pants screenwritery because you don't... Cave people didn't burn other people with fire. They... 
they made, they cooked things and that was quite important and they kept warm and didn't die. But I like the idea that he's like, that's your thing, that's my thing, we're not going to agree on this because mm. you don't really get that in this version. I think you do because they literally say it's language versus science yeah, here, no, which he... sets out your theme. I don't think you need that additional sentence. Yeah. And I think there's very Denis, from the, from the sounds of it, Eric, Eric Heiser was saying that, that Denis Villeneuve would just edit cut out more and more lines and and just scenes and moments and it was just he said it was very elegant watching him do it so you had the ver- the most minimal version of this story you could possibly have mm. which well, I mean, yeah, when you're shooting like things like that helicopter arriving at base camp, I could just watch oh my gosh, that yeah. arrival could be in silence played for 10, 15 minutes and yeah. I'd just be like, it's mm. just with the fog bank on the horizon and the way- and obviously the fact that he's held off to this point, even not even in news footage or anything on mm. the screens, we just haven't seen this yeah. arrival. And so for, you know, 15 minutes, you've been building this tension about what we're actually going to see, and it doesn't disappoint. I wonder if it is tension. I wonder if it's more like you're with her and she's a bit like, well, you know, I'll see it when I get there kind of thing. So that when you do see it, it's your your brain is sort of all over the place. There's nothing to latch onto. It's such an expansive feeling. Like, what is it going to look like? But it doesn't disappoint. It looks incredible. The fact that it's hovering ever so slightly above the ground is a brilliant idea because a lot of this film is about choice and free will and the 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 shell the lens whatever you want to call it is inviting us to choose you don't have to come in like we're not we're not grabbing you mm-hmm. and dragging you into a spaceship like you can take the next step which is all about you know ties into the baby stuff as well because i don't know if you know this, alex in the in the original story they don't actually appear the aliens don't come and visit us they send what's effectively TV screens, and yeah. so we can communicate with them over Skype, right. space Skype. Right. And so there's no arrival, there's just a dropping off of technology. Well, she talks to them through these screens and that's it. I think I like the movie better. <laughs> yeah. yeah, me too. Well, it's a different experience. <laughs> yeah. So Again, we'll... it's conflict. He's introduced conflict. Yeah. And a ticking clock. Yes. Uh, we'll meet Michael Stuhlbarg. Oh, he's good. I just love him in everything. Yeah, he's really good. So Agent Halpern. I do oh, think... a little downturn of the size of your mouth there. It's fine, it's fine, it's yeah, good. It's fine, it's fine. I mean, he doesn't have a lot to do here, sure. but as a rule, he's fucking brilliant. Well, don't you think all the roles played by men... You shouldn't get a medal for this, but I'm, I'm in a generous mood. So they give Amy Adams the space to be quiet and calm and not like, I'm I'm the protagonist, but I'm going to do some big swings here to make sure people remember me. Because as a character, Louise Banks, you need to think that she is, there's a, there's a glass screen between her and the rest of the world because she's in grief. That's important for the twist. And I think all the men do a brilliant job, man actors, not man characters, of stepping back and letting and giving that as much room as it mm. needs. And I think Michael Stuhlbarg, definitely, Forrest Whitaker, a million times. Because mm. a, gen, a, a military man like that, you could easily have him doing some like desk-pounding moments, like, in all my years, I've never seen whatever. But everybody just steps back, so you do get a feminist medal for mm. that. For and me. I think there was even less in the original script, but Eric was on set for the whole of the shoot, and he was writing dialogue for the news broadcasts and the background stuff all the way through it. But he said, there were some days where there was a room full of Oscar nominated or Oscar winning actors all standing around who didn't have anything to say and my job was to give them a line so that it wasn't a wasted day in their lives that's terrifying uh, so we're going to get into the ship and this is also a brilliant choice which is our tech versus their tech so the scissor lift like going into this like rocky tunnel thing a passage obviously these things are like frequently a passage because something is going to be born of eventually um and then just taking that leap towards the wall of white which is uh, the same as in her house so that was a, a stylistic choice to, for louise's house to have that big bank of white uh-huh. space interesting so yeah. that you're messing around with your perception very of time good. Mm-hmm. very good very subtly um so we meet the aliens 
who were later named Abbott and Costello, which is Ian's sole contribution to world peace. Um, I think of them as like a foggy octopus at this point. Sure. Um, Squid. Squid. Have you seen the drawings of what they look like stood up? So the squid bit, the bottom bit, is just the bot. They're they're like seven times as big as a human being, but they do like sort of broaden out into a torso and a kind of head. So what you're seeing is the bit they use for communication. Obviously, when she touches her hand mm. to their sort of tentacles bit, but they are like big. Hu- not they're not humanoid, but they are. They're something you would recognise as a a person kind of thing. Fair enough. Yeah. Um, so yeah, the, also the point here is that we establish Michael Stewart's character does it, I think, which is, <clears throat> excuse me, they could have hurt us, but they haven't, which is really important mm. because it means you open your mind to just being curious about them rather than there is a sense of danger and you've got the little bird in the cage and things could go wrong. But if they wanted to fuck us up, they would have done it by now. So you are allowed to feel curious about them, which I think is brilliant. Um, and then they shoot ink from their sort of appendage thing, which I read was Denis Villeneuve's idea, not the way that they communicate, but that uh, in one of the versions of the script, they wrote it and obviously it takes a long time. So their, their appendage moved with the ink, whereas if you just shoot it, it's mm, quicker, Brilliant. which is such a good fucking idea. Um, so it's a logographic language and the sounds are just an emotion to like convey the meaning. Um they did. They hired a concept artist called Martine Bertrand, and she, she she called it a coffee stain idea, which I think was brilliant. Mm. And they asked her for something like nightmarish, which is true because the way that the hooks come out of the it doesn't look friendly, does it? It doesn't look like mm-hmm. Comic Sans. Like yep. you don't feel like excited. You just feel a little bit nervous. I think that's brilliant. Um, so Louise has made contact. Oh, go on. Or it could be like a Rorschach test almost, it looks yeah, like it sometimes. Look like which that is a another bit. thing that sort of creeps you out. Yeah. Um, so anyway, China are not happy. So Yay, is, we get a baddie now. Yeah. So. General Shang. And I thought you'd like this, Chris. Louise gets a very big whiteboard moment. There's never been a whiteboard that's been so important in the history of the human race yep. for her to explain her process. Yep. Uh, again, Eric said that he was writing down this teaching, this translating. He said, I was using words that are boring and not sexy. And so the producers were saying, what do you mean? And he got up on a board and explained to them. And he, he's, I'll, I'll tweet out the board, what he wrote on the board for his producers. And they said, just put this scene in the film. Yeah. <laughs> That's how we end up with blackboard scenes. It's so. so It's so good. Um, so she's, now, a, she's a cunning linguist, isn't she? Oh, Jesus. She is, though. Wow. It's very clever. The kangaroo thing and <laughs> wow. this is very clever. <laughs> Back to the 90s with Chris <laughs> Oh, you've told her about our other podcast. <laughs> I tell you what, that would do the business Maybe, to yeah. be honest. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> with just Chris <laughs> So uh, Louise takes her suit off, Ian copies her, because that's... Uh, I do think it's a bit. He's a bit like, yeah, I was going to do that. Like, it is a bit though, isn't it? Like, yeah. <laughs> sure. I mean, you never. I never really get to know Ian no. very well in this. But the suit taking off scene is brilliant. The military guy, that young actor, Mark O'Brien, mm. who plays the military guy, he's so good. I can't believe I've yeah. not seen him he's in quite more intense, things. Isn't he? But yeah. of course, we loved him in something not long ago. What was it? I can't remember. <laughs> Ready or not. Oh, he's the husband. Yes. Yeah, he's the husband. You ready it. or not? Yeah. I knew it. I knew it. Because he's got a very kind face. Yeah. yeah. And so I think these films have him turn, and you're like, oh, oh, oh wow. I like you. I didn't recognise him at all. I yeah. did, and yeah, I didn't really get it. But yeah, yeah, it's wow. him. he's good. Yeah. Really good. So then we get another daughter flashback, which obviously we'll understand because Louise is learning their language. She's starting to move through time and then that's affecting what she can think and what she can do, which is the sapio Wharf hypothesis. 
So the sapir wharf hypothesis, and I really did read a whole book about this, not just an article this time, not this week, but in my life. Quite okay, recently. but try and shorten it down. Shorten it down. Um, this, I, I am so lost. What's the sapir wharf hypothesis? The sapir wharf. I think she's about to say. Is it, it mentioned a in the of film? Times lately? What? Yeah. I'm literally. Do you not know? But is it in the film? Of course, it's in the film. Does someone say sapir wharf? Let, let, let Vic explain what she was going to say, and then Louise you can and Ian comment. are talking, and they go, "Well, what's happening?" She's like, "Well, it's like it's sapir wharf." And then I was like, "Oh, I know that from a book I read about language." Um, so, you, can I explain to you? Well, you're looking at me like I'm making it up. Well, all things are made up, but go on. Oh Jesus! <laughs> okay, fine. Easy, so. Elon Musk. <laughs> <laughs> so the reason sapir wharf is mentioned is because sapir wharf, the hypothesis, would suggest that the structure of a language affects its speaker's worldview or cognition. So people's perceptions are relative to your spoken language. Mm. So as a very easy example for you, dummy, I will give you, uh, we only have one word for blue. So if something is blue, it's either light blue or dark blue. Agreed? Right. But the Russians have two separate words. So they can perceive the difference in blue apparently quicker than we can because we we don't have any different words for it. Is this the bit where in the film they talk about how learning a foreign language is like rewiring your brain? Yeah, because they're trying to say because the heptapods don't have any perception of, t- of time as we have know it in a linear way, mm. as Louise is learning their language, it's affecting her cognition of the world, like what she can do. Right, okay, so that is the gift, because the gift doesn't appear to be an actual thing. It, it, it like <laughs> No, it's not it's not an object. Right. But when they sort of say we're giving what? I can't that's where you are in this film, which is where's the weapon? Are you kidding me? No, I know it's not a weapon. No, but do you think it was a thing? But I don't understand how, is it just her understanding their language, which is the gift? But or she it's can something... teach everyone. Yeah, but is it something that they've done to her chemically or has she just learnt? She's no, just it's in learned... the language. She's yeah, it's in the language. language. I think one way you can look at it is, is, is don't, when you, when you start learning another language, you can start dreaming in yeah, that language. Apparently. And obviously she literally starts dreaming them yeah and then it's it's just this whatever it is it changes your outlook and it changes your the this language changes your perception of the world but the the, th- the thing is this book i read the sapir war hypothesis is quite old and it's widely discredited so it's not that the language you speak affects how you think. Why did you just tell because me all that it's... and look at me like I was an idiot no, no. and take the time out of my life to tell me something that you're now saying is actual bollocks? Because I think... Jesus it's... Christ, this is like me telling you the entire plot of Master of Disguise and me, and then going, by the way, it's a piece of shit. Yeah, but I'm just saying it's interesting that a film that is this smart leans into a hypothesis that is not that linguists at the moment don't think is... It had its value at the time, but it was discredited because it was you... Or it could be use for very racist assertions so these people are not capable of thinking in the way that we think because the language doesn't allow for it and it's not true well done alex racist (laughs) (laughs) i'm just saying so just because language surely surely hang on okay it could be used for racist purposes but like a a culture a a people a language having different ways of discerning things is is completely feasible it is feasible and all it means is though it makes you it makes the speakers of that language slightly more inclined to think in certain ways it doesn't mean they are incapable of it it was used to assert that there was no possibility that this people could ever understand this concept because the language wouldn't allow for it that's not true so but then maybe maybe it does lean into that a bit because I think the film is saying if people learn heptapod they can do this thing also this isn't a true story so it's fine if it's just a narrative tool or a conceit. 
So back to the sad romance. The sad romance is one of my favourite things about this. So Denis Villeneuve said he wanted the feeling of the film, the look of the film, to be like a sad, rainy Tuesday when you're on the school bus and it's pissing it down and it's grey mm. outside and you just feel like, oh. <laughs> and then you throw, a, you, you give that a shot of romance and I think it does look like that. It's constantly raining and you get the line with... Louise to Ian, which is, if you could see your whole life from start to finish, would you change things? And he's like, I would get better at saying how I feel and all the rest of it. Uh, but that's a very important anchor for the whole thing. I know you weren't convinced by Renner in this, but I, f- I really felt the chemistry between them. I really bought into this love that's developed, even yeah. though we don't really see it. I buy, I buy into the shared bond. They've both been mm. through something unreal together yeah. at the same time. And so that would bond you together mm. in a very unusual and, way. And just him saying it wasn't about them, it was about you. Yeah. It's a beautiful thing to say. I fall in love yeah. with someone that said that to me. Yeah, Fuck the aliens, I love you. <laughs> yeah. uh, it's all right here, but Roy, poor Roy, who yeah. had the shared experience with Gillian on Monday, yeah. and they shared a kiss, and we were all like, oh, fuck them, yeah, what's no. Roy doing? And suddenly now, because it's Renner and Adams, you're like, no, but no, their shared experience was different. Yeah. So I, I think they're both single. You don't know that because of the linear nature of this film. It's all over the place. She could have already had a relationship. She might be with a, a partner. Like some of those scenes where she's talking about the guy being missing might not even be Renner might be, be another any, guy could be literally anyone it's that dude from Harvard could that be. love hate thing she's got might, going on there be, if it was me it'd be Michael Stuhlbarg because <laughs> yeah, fucking brilliant it's Costello <laughs> <laughs> Many, yeah. <laughs> oh, you, you, were about to, you were about to go there. Oh, my God. <laughs> but I didn't. Come round, we'll watch some anime demon porn. It'll be right up your street. Oh, I didn't Jesus even know that about Christ. myself. That's weird how both these episodes have featured uh, things going in or out of people's orifices. That's how we ended Monday. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> so now we Tentacle get porn. Tentacle okay. porn. We get a midpoint voiceover. Now then. I can't be, I can't do, you know, it's all right here and it's not, like, I don't know what it is. I think the, the person's voice, I like the quality of their voice, right? Hmm. And then I thought it was like an instructional video or an explainer, but then they say Louise is doing things that we couldn't ever imagine. They say first person Louise, right? Not first person, they name her. So is it a narrator? Like, what is that voice of? Is it Renner? I, I didn't understand. I thought, yeah, I thought it was him. I, I wasn't think, sure. I, think the voice I, is different. I was here to ask you because I was a little bit. I, I might was, be wrong though, I don't know. But. I was certain that was Renner talking about her and what she was doing. Uh, it was. I think it was there just to for a passage of time sequence. Sure, so. I get why it's there. I right. just didn't know, you know, you have to stick within the confines of your script. Like, is this a narration, as in we're stepping outside of the script to talk directly to the audience? Mm. Or is it a VO from a newsreel, is what I thought, maybe? Mm. Or is it a VO from an, a video explaining... I imagined he was sort of keeping... I know we haven't seen it, but in my head... I just made the leap into he was recording into a dictaphone of the thing some is, kind. If it is like an audio voice, journal. He's said so little so far that I didn't recognise his voice mm. at all. I thought it was someone else. I've just written who is doing this voiceover question mark. Oh, so he is, yeah. That's, Not all, I got, that's all I got for you. Um, it's Renner. So as a logogram is free of time, there's no tense in a logogram. Think of an ampersand. There is no forwards or backwards in one of those. So she, Louise, is sort of falling into this a bit and the world is destabilising and then you've got Captain Marks at the base part of a planned attack on the shell. So it's all ramping up a bit. He's playing Jake Boosie in Contact, isn't he? <laughs> a little bit, yeah. It's the same. But yeah, he's, he's been convinced by an Alex Jones. It's quite yeah. ahead of its time. But, but isn't, wasn't Boosie a, a religious seller? And that's why he was in doing contact, it. In Contact, yeah. Yeah, yeah. 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 Just, I feel but like he's just... not... I don't know if it's, if it's so much... 
a religious seller, a, well, they a mistrust certainly... of outsiders and this guy being like... Well, it, you know, it could be it's a more about it's, more, it's the libertarian thing, isn't it? It's like, because the guy they're watching that seems to convince them in some way is like, you know, we're taking advice from people who don't even have guns, yeah. which is the idea of, you know, sure. the right but, to But they do arms. set up the Pentecostal um, cult setting fire to themselves earlier. And I was yeah. thinking, well, he could be a member of that or it could be a military little... I think he's doing it for it. I think it's a patriotic thing. Yeah. Yeah. He's doing it for his yeah. country. Because um... he's only heard the weapon word rather than yeah. it could potentially meaning tool so but yeah. he seems to be planning this from the start i don't think it's the weapon thing that tips him over the line i think he was always going to do this because he doesn't like aliens well he doesn't oh, like an enemy that. does he yeah. like it's, it's it, that's his training a threat yeah. yeah someone who's more powerful than his yeah. military potential we've seen a million films where the instant uh reaction would be uh, not violence. What's the right word? An offensive mm. kind of thing. So the thing is that that's what you said. The alien. The, it's time for Louise to ask the big question: What is your purpose on Earth? And the answer they give her is offer weapon. So the second time around, I was like, mm, I'm not sure about this because it's a semantic slip up, but it's very important. And Abbott and Costello are smarter than us. So would they, as she's understanding them? They are understanding her because you see on the screen some of the heptopod language and Louise is in it. So they know our words because she says, I'm Louise. And then they start to use the symbol for their symbol for Louise. Mm. So they're smarter than us. So would they understand the semantic difference between tool and weapon means a great deal to human beings? Especially seeing as the only fucking reason they're here. (laughs) It's not like they've got any other plan. This is what it's been building up to. They're only here to offer a fucking tool, yes, not are. a weapon. Yeah. So I, it kills me to say that because mm. the first time I watched it, I wasn't paying attention to that. But the second time, you're like, oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> like, that's handy. Yeah. Um, you want What you want is for Costello to slap Abbott's tentacle off the screen. <laughs> and go, no, that's the wrong fucking word. <laughs> oh, my God, that would be brilliant. Um, so she gets back in because it's all ramping up and she writes with them, with her hands. And it seems to be more a sense of feeling things and knowing them. And you feel like she really is going to make a breakthrough. But then the bomb that was put there with Marks and his buddies explodes and the aliens expel Louise and Ian to protect them, which is, is Ian awesome. Is he in that scene? Is he? <laughs> Shit, is he? You know, he is. He is. Yeah, yes. he is. Yes, yeah, he is. Because they both get yeah, blown yeah, up, yeah, don't yeah. they? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and then they but get... you wouldn't know, really. <laughs> no. So then you get this parting gift of hundreds of the symbols. And then China has declared war and the shell goes higher above the ground and it feels like they're going to go without doing what they came to do. Did you um, not feel timeline-wise that because it, it, it says China on day 27 has mm. declared war on the alien. It felt to me that they'd been there longer than 27 days. No, it felt right to really? me. Yeah. Oh. Um, I love the line because you don't need it, but it's uh, Forrest Whitaker's line about why does this feel worse when they're just, it looks like they're going mm. because you think, God, we're just so hopeless. Like if that happened tomorrow, we would a hundred percent fuck this up and they would go and then we'd be left in our own shit for the rest of the limited amount of time we've got left. Whereas we had a chance to make it all right. No, 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 no. They need our help. <laughs> we don't need their help at this point. They've come, like you said on Monday, for a fucking favour. <laughs> they they need to give us something so we can help their sorry asses in 3,000 years. That's a big point, actually, that, again, only occurred to me this time. The heptopods do not perceive time in a linear fashion. They understand that in 3,000 years they will need human beings, but can they not see past 3,000 years? Also doesn't explain exactly what, and a food stuff? Who knows? Oh, wow. I never thought of that. Exactly. We're going to need you in 3,000 years. Famine on our planet means (laughs) we are going to need basically cattle. Yeah, we need some protein. Which is is my favourite Twilight Zone to serve man. 
which we've talked about before. So these hundreds of symbols, Ian is useful here, which is a little bit irritating because he's been so so supportive and he's like, while you were asleep because of a bomb, I figured it all out, which is a a bit annoying. (laughs) Um, So it's one of 12, it's self-assembly. That's that to me doesn't need a theoretical physicist. I think that was in there already. Like, oh, I wish there was a line where he says, "But now you're awake and you've seen it. Would you have got it without me? <laughs> <laughs> Would you have got it on your Hi- own? Hypothetically, <laughs> I, I, I do. I really need to know this. Or this isn't going to work. <laughs> be, be honest. That's lovely. Could you have worked it out? Um, but yeah, the idea that the the heptapods are going to make the humans work together. So now time has become malleable for Louise and she's picking up stuff from the future. No, from the present to using the future, which is zero-sum game, which doesn't mean what I thought it meant. I had never heard that expression before. Zero-sum game means to me no one can win. Nothing good comes from this now. It's a zero-sum game. Okay. It's done. Right. Like, as in if we were fighting over something and we destroyed the thing that we were fighting about, that's a zero-sum game. That but makes I, sense to me. Yeah, am I wrong? Because or what, she's, she's saying it's different in this? She does say so. She's like, you know, her daughter says it's a competition where everybody feels that they've got something or something like that. Anyway, um, and she's picking up stuff from the present to using the future and the aliens send this funny little tube lift for her and she's really in there. And then we find out about this 3,000 years favour to turn us into food mm. or whatever it is. I'm going to assume that the, the whole... Of- twist, don't we? <laughs> that fucking twist. Honestly, when she, for me, I worked it out, not at the start like you, no. was when she said, who is this child? Oh my yeah. God, unbelievable. That's when you're supposed to work it's it out. It's unbelievable. That's um, the biggest moment for me. Like it was, it was very powerful the first time, but it was still amazing the second time. Who is this child? Yep. It's major. And then you don't even have time to recover from it. You're just like, what? And then smash... You're straight into flashback, forward, whatever it is. And Hannah is like, Daddy looks at me differently. Mm. Um, and she says, I told him something he wasn't ready to hear and he thinks I made the wrong choice. Yeah, it's you like, did? Wah! Yeah, you did. No, wait, no. And also, surely this... Has she written the book at this point? Because I am swear she's looking... Oh, God, I don't know. Because you get into this whole thing, like, how, I thought she taught humanity this language with this book. Yeah. But what's the book he's reading? That's a different book. You know, in the helicopter it's at the her, start. Oh, yeah. It's a book she's written before. Okay. It's not about heptapods. It's right. just about language. I like that. How scene. she afforded the house with all the books. Like, yeah, the book by, proceeds. Book money. By, okay, that makes sense. I mean, sense. second time round, because the first time round, I didn't, you know, I couldn't tell what was going on so much because I was just like crying my eyes out. But this time round, I, he thinks I made the wrong choice. I do think if you know that this baby is going to die, mm. you've got to tell the father before yeah. the baby's like seven years old. I think it's bang out of order. Yeah, I <laughs> agree. She told him too late. Yeah, she should have told him before. He, he it's says, just a weird time to tell him. It's just, I mean, yeah. obviously, there's not a good time, but it just feels strangely just arbitrary Yeah, to pick, oh, when she's whatever, that you're saying seven. seven. When she's seven, we, yeah. you get to know. Well, she is knocking back those wines at the start, so she's probably got a bit drunk. <laughs> so you've got to... Do you know when you say something, you don't mean so when you're a bit drunk oh, sure. she was never, probably like never. and listen no listen. she's like oh my god I've got this massive secret two things first I'd have fucking got it if I'd been awake and you only got it before me because <laughs> I was unconscious second thing she's going to be dead in a few months oof but I do, I do think it's, I do think it's the wrong choice. I don't think it's the wrong choice to have the baby, but I do think it's the wrong choice to not say to the father of the baby. Just so you know, <laughs> this is definitely in our future. Mm. Because uh, yeah, anyway. Um, well, how could you have? 
I wonder how you work it out. If you had a, if you got pregnant with Ian, mm-hmm. but then aborted the baby, but you had never planned to, then the second baby isn't the baby who was going to die. That was the baby you aborted. So you've got a brand new baby. Yeah, it's interesting because there isn't. There's a, maybe another element of a characterisation where she's sad in the start because she's she really is desperate for a child and it's very difficult for some reason and mm. that's wiped her out. You know, she's as in she's completely divorced from emotion because she's either been through horrible experiences or she's like this thing I really want I can't have so that when she got pregnant for the first time she's like I'm not gonna I'm not gonna have an abortion I don't think I could do it like twice maybe mm. I don't know and, and that's this is the major change from the book as well so in the book she learns that her daughter will die in a rock climbing accident and so it becomes about accepting predetermination coming to terms with the fact that your daughter will have this accident and Eric didn't like that. And that's the thing he had to convince Ted about, the writer of the book. And so uh, he still, wanted to make a story. Isn't it still predetermination, though? It doesn't change whether it's a rock climbing free, accident or a disease. No, she has free will now. So she can choose to not have the baby. OK. With um, uh, Jeremy Ian. Rennick, with Ian. But she did before. Yeah, just because it's a rock climbing accident yeah. doesn't change I mean, I think, what, you, I think what you're saying is... If you knew your baby was going to die in a rock climbing accident, you spend the whole life of that child making sure they don't go anywhere near rocks. If it's a disease that's coming for them and there's nothing can be done, which is a little bit difficult this time around because the heptapods are amazing and can do everything, but they can't. This one cancer, they just can't do that. You sort of get the sense they could do loads of stuff, but this one thing they can't do. So... If you if you knew the baby was going to die in an accident, you ruin your life. You ruin their life by going don't go near the rocks. You're like all the time. Mm. Whereas if something's just in your genes and it's just a time bomb, then there isn't anything you can do about that. So you can live your life. What I can't believe is how normal she is. So there's all these scenes where Hannah's like, "How do you spell this?" and "How do you do this?" and she's like, "Oh, mummy's just working." It's like you know that she's. I'm, I'm very admiring of it. You know she's going to die, mm. but you're acting like a normal. Mom. Yeah, I mean that's isn't that? I don't know. I don't know how I feel about that because it works for the movie. Like when that zero sum game. Yeah. She seems actually annoyed. Yeah, she does. She's, She's like, like yo, yeah. I'm fucking working here. <laughs> yeah. Go away. Yeah. And you're like, you're like, you know she's going to die. Yeah, Life goes it. on. Yeah, so there yeah, I, I think it's, yeah, it's you can't keep up pretense all the time. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So yeah, so now she so this is the bit. Second time around, I wasn't like in love with it. First time around, I'm fucking loving it. So now that Louise can fully experience time in a non-linear way, she but she doesn't seem to understand her own future. So she inhabits what is her future when she's at the function with General Shang. And he says to her, that you, what you did saved humanity. You got my private number. She's like, I absolutely don't know that number. So she doesn't come to the future with the knowledge that she would have from the, her own future kind of thing. So he gives her the number and a message that will make him stand down. So she goes back into her sort of consciousness in her timeline, uses her boyfriend as a human shield <laughs> so that these people don't shoot her and passes on a message to General Shang to make him stand down, which is, Chris, I'll let you say what it is since you elicited the information from the writer. Yeah, he was asked at the last minute, Eric, was to write what would be um, a phrase that would save the world and stop war, Mm. which was tricky. And so, yeah, he had to come up with something and he said he wrote about 30 different things that he showed to Denise and the one Denise liked was, uh, in war there are no winners, only widows. And widowers. Sorry, not to nitpick, but mm. and widowers. And so that is what um, she is saying in Chinese. But And he thought that was going to be translated on the screen via subtitles. And so when he watched the film for the first time, he realised, oh, no, all that work I put into that, no one will know unless you are Chinese. It's so <laughs> much better, though, because she's saying no, it in, in Mandarin. And it's like you, you project, don't you? Just like, that could be anything. Sure. But no, these, are, these are his wife's dying words yes. to him. Yes, that so only he would know. Yeah. Only or he would know. unless surveillance states. Uh-uh. 
it all feels very Nolan at this moment. Oh my God, yeah. The really whole does. movie the music, like, has been yeah. quintessentially Denis Villeneuve yeah. until this point. And at this point, yeah. I'm like, is this the end of Inception? Yeah, yeah. It feels like Inception, Interstellar, some sort of weird music. crossover. I just do think it's, and it's very grey at that point because you're in the sort of, in that room. I agree with you. But it's like the dream within a dream within a dream. She's using some information yeah, from one reality forth, yeah. into another reality. Well, as Vicky said, they had to change the ending because it was about them giving them that it was going to unlock how to build a spacecraft to travel to their planet, which mm. obviously Interstellar spoiled. Yeah. Yeah. So you get this high because she's brought around in her own way freaking world peace, which is amazing. And you're like, oh, humanity is going to work together forever. And that's such a, a wonderful feeling. And we'll never suffer again, except she will, because Hannah is still going to die as a teenager because of this one disease that, for some reason, is outside of the heptapods. But thing. I guess she is going to suffer, as is her daughter. But I guess now everyone's going to suffer because she's passing this knowledge, this uh, power. Yeah, that's true. And so we're all going to have this knowledge yeah, in the future. That's so, so true. So oh, cool. The, the so we will know when you die. The, the aliens have screwed yeah. us all. Yeah. So then the line. Wait, hang on. No, on. does that make sense? Time is cease, will cease to be linear for all of us once we learn this language. So, so at the point she knows the language, Amy Adams Louise knows when she's going to die as well. well we don't know. We don't know exactly how it how it works. Right. No, there could be limits to it. I, I don't think know. there it's will bit, be. It's a bit arbitrary, but you maybe you can't see further than us. That doesn't make any sense. But who knows? Yeah, I don't know. But that removes. So her ability is just that she's the best linguist yes. in the world. Yes. It's there is no there is nothing more unique about her other than her academic I would say, ability, see, which I, I think that's the thing. I know you were laughing at me earlier on because mm. it took me a while to get this, mm. but it just feels mad that it's just her linguistic ability that's got to this point. And actually, when everyone else learns the language, they will be able to have the power Louise has to travel to different points consciously in, like, the the future. The cleverest person, the only person that communicate with them, is the one who first gets the gift. I do think... So it's about learning, it's about about intelligence then. That's what it boils down to. She's just the cleverest person. Yeah. Uh, the, all the most hard working. Not to under, not sorry. No, no. Before what you said, I've thought about it. When she gets in behind the glass wall, and she, the underwater effects where you know when she's with uh, um, whichever one of the aliens is left, mm. it does. Her expression is a little bit like they're putting stuff in my brain. A little bit. It's, I've always thought that. I've always yeah. thought that she was this unique person who, like, granted that she'd learnt the language and that was going to help humanity communicate with the um the the aliens in the future but i did genuinely think there was something unique about her other than her academic ability yeah fair enough um so then the line that kills me uh, despite knowing the journey and where it leads i embrace it and welcome every moment of it and then i was it just undoes me it just i just dissolve like it's that thing about these themes I thought were like dark secrets and there's a big shiny film all about them and that's very powerful feeling like mm. um, yeah, I just thought God if you can do it then I can do it and that's it and that's so basic but it's just oh bloody hell like it's big for me and then she's also allowed to shag Jeremy Renner because the future says so um, and then that's the end cool any more for any more okay we'll do the bits then shall we uh, Chris what's your best scene so as I say uh, the twist, that moment didn't have the same effect on me the first time I watched it because I saw it coming, uh, a bit like Louise. Um, so I'm going to pick a different scene. It would have been that. It's I think it's when the aliens save Louise and Ian at the cost of one of their own uh, because watching it this second time, I was I didn't know what was going to happen. I'd forgotten. Mm-hmm. And I was super surprised to yeah. see what they did and it was really lovely. It's cool. Mm. And you? 
It's the moment Costello uh, tells Louise Abbott his death process. I find the fact that Abbott dies a little bit to do with how Chris just sure. said the yeah, fact yeah. that it sacrifices itself to mm, save beautiful. them, uh, like, uh, but also because it's an animal. Yeah, and, yeah. <laughs> you know my feelings on animals. It's yeah. like I can re- let's like, and and obviously they're friends. You know, whereas. Louise and this relationship with Ian, it's, they're married and they're, or they have a kid, they're together, they have a kid. I can't relate to all of that, that family dynamic, but I can relate to losing your best mate. Oh, yeah. And- so See, if you'd been sent up there to say hello to them and you said to them, oh, you're just animals, bang, you'd be down, we'd be dead. They're more than animals, Alex. Well, you, she yeah. shows respect. Yeah, okay. Well, that's why I'm not up in a spaceship and <laughs> I'm down here doing a podcast about people who are up in spaceships <laughs> in this documentary we watched. Yeah, so uh, so yeah, I mean, I, I still have a little bit of a problem with the fact that they are they are literally, they're painted. I, mean, I, I even caught myself because I'm like, oh my God, Abbott is death process. That's mm. so sad. And then I'm like, yeah, but you know, I only think I'm sad because... You are made out to be these altruistic super beings who are just like here for the betterment of us. And you have to keep pinching yourself and going, no, no, no. They're only here because we need to save them. Okay. Don't you get that? No, and, and I, to I give get us what the, you're saying. And to give us the gift. To of... save them. We, 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 they didn't give us the gift when they didn't need our help. They waited until 3,000 years now from now. Yeah, that's well, true. They could do it a year before. They, they're giving us 3,000 years. Uh, that's true. To um, help them. I like the poem in Mandarin and all that tension. I love the who is this child. I, the same as you, I love it when the heptopods like fling the humans out of the shell. But the I think the uh, the best scene is when she's talking to her daughter about I made the wrong choice. He thinks I made the wrong choice. That's just incredible. Uh, what's your most valuable ever, Alex? Denis Villeneuve. Um, I gave it to Spielberg on Monday. And again, here I just think the the bold choices he makes like as a director in terms of when things are revealed and how he reveals them. And like I said earlier, the bit where that helicopter is arriving at the landing site and it's the fog bank just rolling over the crest of the hill and just visually the way it looks and the time it spends and everything about that moment is like pure feel nerve. And I think it's fantastic. And you? Well, it has to be the writers, but because I can't split them, it's 50-50 between uh, Max and Eric. I ain't going to pick them. Um, so it's got to be Max Richter. For the music. Mm. Right. <laughs> because you're such a super fan. No, uh, my, my, my real answer is Johan Johansson for the music. Oh, yeah, fair uh, I love his score. Funnily, I picked John Williams on, on, on Monday and I'm picking him here. I just think it's a stunning score. I'm picking the last 10 minutes of the film mm. because um, the whole idea of exploring that without blinking, just doing it, just getting into the weeds with it, which is deciding to do something you know will be devastating because now outweighs the pain that's waiting for you. And I don't know how I don't know how she does it actually, because those feelings I understand, but nowness is only possible for me. Well, when you panic about the future, like what's gonna you know, is everybody gonna be all right? And all of that. But you think, no, 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 just take a breath, take a step back, stop catastrophizing. Now is fine because kind of who knows what's ahead. It doesn't matter, you know, you shouldn't like, you know, there's no point thinking the worst really because you don't actually know. Whereas she does know. And so it is, I don't know how she manages. Um, There's a a really good article or piece I read and I can't remember where it's from, but I'm just going to paraphrase it because I'm not going to pretend that I wrote this. So foreseeing a choice and then making it is not the cruelty of fate in action, but a powerful exercise in free will. And that's just like, that's really, I need that. And this film gives it to me. And I think that's why the line is in there about her daughter's poetry. Yeah. That we don't know what this young girl creates in her lifetime and how that's going to affect others and what effect that could have 
on the world. Yeah. Yeah, because she hasn't got time to get a degree in like cancer science and sort of things no, out. So, so through her art, I think that's why poetry's yeah. in. I think that was yep. that's why they mentioned it though. She, hey, Louise should have put her into cancer science school yeah. straight away. Going save just, your own uh, life, no particular reason. <laughs> yeah. But but if you do crack yes, this, well, no. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, what would you change, Alex? Uh, first of all, uh, the simple answer is uh, more Michael Stuhlbarg. Um, I just I could do with more of him. I don't think he has a lot to do with Agent Halpern, no. but he's good at the end where he pulls a gun on them. But really, and this is going to be unpopular, I don't think I love the combination of the score uh, and the plot of this movie. I honestly feel... Uh, a bit manipulated by this film. Yeah. It feels heavy-handed. There were moments where I'm like, this isn't me being given the option to cry because of the story and the what I'm what I'm understanding and what I'm taking from these scenes and these relationships. This is a film bludgeoning me with a big crying hammer, mm. going "fucking cry." Listen, can you hear that score? And you know what's happening. You are going to cry. Yeah. And I honestly, by the end, I felt a little bit oppressed. It's not like by the Pavlovian responses. I was watching it on a train, so we were like, we were both somewhere public, and I was ready. I was like, I've seen it before. I know what I'm getting into. And then when the Max Richter song comes on at the beginning and she's in a hospital with her dead child mm. saying, come back to me. I was like, the train was very crowded because the train strikes and I had to turn my head away. Mm. I was like, oh my God. Yeah. Like It just pushes all of those buttons. I know, but I just feel like it sometimes feels like you could discover that emotion in this sure. film on your own. You don't need to be like slapped around the face mm-hmm. with that score and told, ah, cry. <laughs> if you're not crying, you're not human. You've got a heart of stone, you dick. <laughs> uh, what about you? I think the scientist Skyping in from the UK, I don't think he should be a grey old man. <laughs> it's so funny. Hello, England calling. It's so ridiculous. I think, I think it should be Brian Cox and I think he should be going on about the wonder of the universe. <laughs> and they should be like, not this fucking bloke and switch the telly off. <laughs> That's how we use communication. I like that very much. <laughs> London's gone on blackout. I'm still here. <laughs> Turn the volume down as well. <laughs> uh, I, it's only listening. It's just, I give, give Ian something to do throughout that makes him useful, which apparently is in the book. When he does it at the 89th minute after she's been knocked out, I find things a bit devious. So I just need, I under, to understand them as parents and this thing they would go through and all the rest of it, I understand that their experience would bring them together. But I think we'd, I'd get more if she was like, I see the value of you rather than just, you seem to be following me around and copying all the shit I'm doing. Uh, that's it. So that's it. We're done. Very good. Done. Yeah, the podcast is finished. Well, okay. it's time for the f- the finished bits. <laughs> <laughs> All right, come on, let's do the verdicts. Why is that a thing? It's time for the verdict. You want answers? I think I'm entitled. You want answers? I want the truth. Oh, for God's sake. Now. <laughs> now. <laughs> it is, though. Just when I'm finished speaking. Uh, mm, who am I going to go to first here? Vicky, who, um, who are yeah, you going to pick? I'm not going to mess around because it's just a rival. It just is because I love that film. I think, you know, it, they're both cerebral sci-fis in their own way, but it's the... I, yeah, and I do agree with you that I probably have been emotionally manipulated, but I re, but it's still a very um, lingering feeling. It's it's weird. Sorry to interrupt. No, no, it's fine. It's, fine. it's just... Because uh, all film does that on some level. That is the nature of film. So yeah. it's weird that this movie, I feel, 
It's doing something that other films pull back on. I swear there's mm-hmm. something in this film specifically that makes you feel that's a bit heavy-handed. It could even just be the the mix because it's very loud. Mm. Like, it's could it be too loud? And it's very bassy, so you're like, whole, like, chest is rumbling it's with it. quivering tears out of you. Yeah. <laughs> it's shaking you until something happens. I, th- I also, you said way at the start of Monday somewhere that these are both about family. And I just think it's a shame and it was a different time and all the rest of it the Close Encounters family thing just misfires for me like it just doesn't have that same punch whereas the Arrival thing really really does and so that's why it's Arrival Okay Alex Uh so, as you may have guessed, I felt one of these films was a little bit heavy-handed. I felt a bit manipulated by it, while the other was almost standoffish in its attempt to reel me in and had to make me work to find my own feelings about what was going on. So the film that I think tugged at my heartstrings a little too rigorously was Arrival, whereas Close Encounters, the end of that movie is just... I, I'm just, I'm still kind of processing it now. But ultimately, it boils down to this. One of these films genuinely had me looking up at the night sky, pondering afterwards, and one did not. And the film that made me think about life out there in our universe was Close Encounters, so it gets my vote. What a piece! Very good. Down to you, Chris. Oh, I'm kicking things everywhere. Are you nervous? A little bit, I think. We, I know. I, I bumped I into think... one of our listeners in uh, Leeds at the weekend. Oh, did and you? I, I, Matt, hello, if you're listening. You remember how I called this show, so we'll see if I was right. Yeah. Uh, Close Encounters improved on this viewing for me because I'm a grown-up <laughs> <laughs> and therefore it made more sense. But I, I can't get over the fact that Roy Neary isn't deserving of that opportunity. And as you say, you know, as we discussed at length, walking out on his family, it's just not a nice ending. Um, Arrival wasn't quite as good on this viewing for me. As I said, once you know the mystery, not much actually happens. But it truly hit me like a ton of bricks when I first watched it on quite a profound level. And so I'm going for Arrival. Yes! Oh my God, I needed that. I, needed that I know because... you <laughs> Matt, I told you. It just, I'm really glad we got to do this because it's such a rare thing that you see a film and it does it just does so much do you know mm. what I mean so I really wanted to talk about it I've wanted to talk about it for years it's such a privilege that we get to do it in this space mm. and it does this film does mean a lot to me I am pleased I recommended it to you all yeah. those years ago oh my ago. god but think though Chris <laughs> well, is right well done Alec yeah. <laughs> You're welcome. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, Arrival is our winner this week. Don't forget, you can have your say and tell us how right or wrong you think the pod was when the listener poll goes up on Twitter at ClashPod. Right then, let's look ahead to next week. Uh, These choices. Mm Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. What are the clue? The clue is, get real, princess. The kid stays in the picture. Chris said it was too obvious. We're going to find out now if it was. (laughs) I didn't say that. You did. You said it was too easy at the end of Monday's episode. I didn't say that. I heard you. You said, it'll be on the tape. That's why we recorded this I didn't say that. I didn't hear you no. say that. He was like, in, inelegant is what I would have said. Right, yeah, fair go. enough. Do you know what? When I first did it, I thought, it is a bit clunky. But then I did that thing where I was like, that's fucking hilarious. Yeah, I just cares? convinced myself. Who cares? What are the movies? Last Action Hero. Versus. Enchanted. Okay. Great there you stuff. Go. That is our week next week. <laughs> Last Action Hero versus Enchanted. Also, Fanuary. 
Fanuary's happening. Email us, show at clashpod.com and tell us the pairing you want and why. And we will pick four to do in January, a.k.a. Fanuary. That's yeah. it. Yeah, we may even stretch to eight in February, Fanny, which is straight after Fanuary. In the meantime, please subscribe to us on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Tell your friends about us. We're going to be back on Monday with next week's Clash pairing as we talk Last Action Hero. Have a lovely, lovely weekend. Bye-bye. Clash of the Titles is a stack production and part of the Acast Creator Network. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.